The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're in um, John chapter 20, um, verses 19 through um, 31. This, um, you know, we've been doing, well, two Sundays ago, since last week was Confirmation Sunday, we are doing resurrection stories. And we talked about uh, the first part of chapter 20 with the um, apostles, uh, Peter and John, Mary Magdalene, of course, she's not an apostle, but, you know, appearing at the tomb and that morning. Now we're at later in the day. So what I'd like to do is to read the whole, at least most of the passage that we're going to talk about and do it in two parts. But if one person would mind reading uh, verses 19 through 23 and another person 24 through 29. I'll do 19 through 23. Okay. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples went inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you. We're just right there. We'll finish. Um, so they started on the, it starts with on the evening of that day. So that would have been a, what we call Easter Sunday. So it would have been the evening of that day uh, after Jesus had arisen earlier in the morning. And they were inside uh, fellowshipping together because, you know, they, they probably didn't know what to believe. You know, three days before, they had seen him crucified. Four days before, the, the 12 had had what we call the Last Supper that we celebrate uh, on Sundays with the Eucharist. They were probably scared, not knowing what to believe, but also fearing that the Jews may come after them. I mean, it uh, says, for fear of the Jews. Um, 
they didn't know. You know, they knew the Jews were out to get Jesus. And so they were kind of congregating together, um, but they had the doors locked. You know, you think about it in dictatorships, and we see they hear this, we don't see it hear this like in North Korea now, when uh, the new uh, head decides to get rid of somebody, he gets rid of not only the person, but the entire family. He wants to wipe them out totally. Well, in this case, it would be, you know, Jesus has been spreading this message, and he's got this close group of followers, so how do we want to make sure the message doesn't get out? Get rid of them too. So that's where probably their fear came from is we're next. So we've got to stay together and uh, make sure that we've got a plan, but we've got to also, you know, pray together because Jesus had told them about praying and what to do. Well, all of a sudden, Jesus is there among them. And he greets them. You know, peace be with you. And this is more, you know, it's not, you know, we're not here to save you from any trouble, but it's, you know, may God give you every good thing. And, you know, they're amazed. How did he get into the room? You know, it had been, his body had been resurrected. And they had been told that he would come back, but, you know, how did he get in? The door's locked. And, you know, at one time, they had even thought about ghosts and Christ being a ghost because in Matthew, when he was walking across the, um, the water in chapter 14 of Matthew, in verse uh, 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. So, you know... With me, I think about the cartoon Casper the Friendly Ghost, just kind of pass through the door. No, that's not what happened, but he appeared. And he appeared in body. Um, when we were here two weeks ago, uh, Frank asked about, you know, was there anything uh, talked about the resurrection in, in like the 39 articles, John said, you know, one of them probably covers it, which it does. And the, the fourth article, Christ did truly rise from the dead and took again his body with flesh, bones, and all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature, wherein he ascended in heaven, ascended into heaven, and there sitteth until he returned to judge all men at the last day. But it says he was resurrected as flesh and bones. So he was just like them, a breathing, walking human being. He just, you know, maybe the door, he maybe opened the door unexpectedly and walked out. But even Peter and Acts, we're talking about departed jail with a locked door. So, you know, it can happen. And so Jesus appeared. And then it says he showed them his hands and his side. And they were glad when they saw the Lord. You know, because at first when they saw that and heard it, and it's kind of like, okay, who is this guy? It looks like Jesus, but then he shows them his hands. And sad, and so they believed, and they were excited. And then Jesus effectively charters the church, if you will, and he tells them that he is sending them 
even as, you know, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. I am sending you out. You know, you are going to carry my message. So, you know, Christ needs the church just as much as we need Christ because he needs somebody to carry his message. And we become the voice in carrying that message. And that's what he told them to do. And over time, we know that the apostles scattered and went in different directions, and that's how the church grew. And it wasn't just the, the apostles. It was the disciples and other believers after that, that the message keeps getting carried. And, you know, without Christ for us, there is no message and there's no power to carry some sort of dialogue on an ongoing basis. You know, there are a lot of people that have come up with a message and had followers, but at a certain point in time, it dies out when they die out. And at best, it might get to be a footnote in some book somewhere. So without the message of Christ, you know, kind of why are we here? And we have no power to do those things that we're called upon to do. And then, in carrying that message, we've got to be able to show Christ's love and have obedience to him. So he's, he's telling them what he wants them to do, and he's giving them the power to do it because he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. So that's where they get the power and the energy and the ability to go forth. And the Holy Spirit is still here with us today. And it doesn't matter where individuals that are the church are, there is the Holy Spirit. So we have that power to go on. And then he says something to them that can be confusing, I think. To me it was when I read through it. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What? You know, irrespective of how the verbiage may be, what Christ is really saying and telling them is and letting them know, and it's what we need to share, that if someone is penitent of their sins, they are forgiven by God. And if they're not, if they're impenitent, then they don't receive God's mercy. So it's not like me being able to forgive something that somebody did against me. I can forgive them for the hurt that I felt possibly, but I, what they did to me. You know, I thought about driving down here, <laughs> and Margaret, it kind of fits. We, uh, Margaret and I were in here earlier, and we flipped the chart because there was a, somebody was playing the game hangman, and so there was a hangman there, but it, it fits in with something I thought about coming down here is that I, several weeks ago I read about some uh, Iranian who was to be hanged, and a lot of times in hangings over there, a family member of the person the accused killed kicks the chair out from under them, and they didn't do it. They said they couldn't. They had just had a dream that said they were not to. So in that case, the family could forgive the individual, if you will, for the hurt they felt and the loss of a family member, but they couldn't forgive the guy for the murder itself. That's what God does. And so that's what we need to do as a church is to let people know that if we're penitent, our sins will be forgiven when we get before the judge, Christ. But if we're just 
flippant to it, unrepentant, then they're not. And we won't share in that mercy that we receive or could receive from God. And so that's part of the message that we need to carry and convey to people is that. Um, you know, so whether in the case of that Iranian family, you know, what caused the dream and where it came from, if any changes anything in their, their whole life, but it, it's an example of what can happen. And um, so, you know, we say we forgive the sins of those, uh, you know, forgive the sins that I've committed in the Lord's Prayer as I forgive those who've sinned against me. But it's, it's not I'm forgiving their sin for what they've done, but what the feeling and the impact it has on me and others around us. And then we get to Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. You know, where the Thomas was off grieving on his own, you know, sometimes we know friends that when something happens to them, they just want to be left alone and kind of work through the situation on their own. Maybe that was what Thomas was. Maybe he was on, already on the run, scared to be around as in a group, make it harder for the Jews to find us, don't all be in one place waiting for him to come get us, but, you know, I'm going to go through, and I've got to go through and, and work through in my own mind what has happened. You know, not only was, did I see Christ crucified, I've heard the story earlier in the day that he's alive, he's risen. You know, i got to process that. And a lot of us, you know, I kind of think I'd be like Thomas in that respect. I'm not sure I'd want to congregate with others, but I'd want to go and think through it myself. Um, you know, sometimes in a family, when a family member's died, you know, a lot of times we gather together as family, but sometimes there's one person off to the side maybe wanting to work through it in their own way. So maybe that's where Thomas was. We don't know, but he, we do know he wasn't there. And so when the dis other disciples told him what they'd seen, because they'd seen not just Christ, they'd seen the marks. And he said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never <clears throat> believe. And then eight days later, the following Sunday, they're gathered together again and Thomas is there. The doors are locked, and Christ appears. He's there. You know, peace be with you, and then he goes straight to Thomas. you got to wonder what's Thomas thinking. <laughs> okay, he's here, and he's walking straight up to me. And Christ tells him, Put your finger here. Fill the hole. Here's my side. Put your hand there. You wanted to feel it. You wanted to know that it was there. It wasn't just something that appeared. It wasn't something that was doctored. That it's real. And then when he does... Thomas if you will, goes what I said is all in. He didn't just halfway acknowledge. Um, as uh, Frank Limehouse said in um, 
a sermon back in March of 08, uh, which this reading typically is a uh, standard reading, gospel reading, um, for the first Sunday after Easter, understandably so. Um, but he, he said that, uh, anyway, you know, he acknowledged more so, and it's the most explicit acknowledgement of Christ in all the Gospels, my Lord and my God. You know, Peter, when he had been asked who, you know, Jesus asked him who he was, you know, he told him, you're the living Christ. The centurion there on Friday afternoon when Christ died, truly that man was the Son of God. I mean, they acknowledged it. But Thomas my Lord and my God. He's all in at this point. And, you know, one of the things you have to say about and think about Thomas was he had, he, you know, in a lot of ways he was more honest than a lot of people are. His was a healthy doubt. Um, Tennyson made a comment, uh, there lives more faith in honest doubt than in somebody that goes and just repeats the creeds. You know, so often, and I find myself doing this, just, you know, whether it be the creeds or some of the prayers or whatnot, just almost repeating them by rote and not thinking about what's being said. Well, Thomas, you know, at a certain point, when he felt, he believed. You know, it's, in a, it's different but similar to like a scientist inventor type. When somebody says you can't do it, they start thinking about why can I? How can I do this? They don't just flippantly say, no, can't do that. And when I say you can't do that, they want to know why. They want to understand. And that's where Thomas, he wanted to truly understand. His wasn't just a flippant, I don't believe until I feel. It was, I want to, I want to understand. It's that person that goes, you know, the step further and just saying, I don't believe you. It's not like me saying, you know, Dan comes to me and tells me they won the lottery, and I go, yeah, let me see the lottery ticket. Let me see the newspaper with your picture and the big check. <laughs> I knew you were not here two weeks ago. Now I know you were collecting your check. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's that sort of thing. He had an honest doubt. But when that doubt was removed, he didn't just step his foot into the water. He went off the high board. But then Jesus also says to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. First uh, Peter, in chapter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you ha- do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Joyce with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Or uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And so, unless you were one of the ones that lived and were there before the day of the ascension, it is faith that gets us there. And that's a tougher leap. And that's what Christ is saying. He's not getting on to him. Now, another thing some people say is that, you know, Thomas here was making an expression that was just, you know, like something happens and you'll hear people exclaim, oh, my God. That potentially is taking God's name, well, it would be taking God's name in vain. But a devout Jew at this point in time, that would be something that, no, they wouldn't have done that. They would not have made a statement like, my Lord and my God, without truly sensing and believing it. And going one step further, Christ didn't rebuke him and say, you shouldn't say that. He talked about those that haven't seen and yet <clears throat> believe. So Thomas's expression is one of belief deep belief because he now has Christ in front of him and any doubt that he had is totally wiped away. And, you know, Thomas went on, tradition has it, he went to India and preached the gospel there because all the, for the most part, most, a lot of the apostles dispersed. Some remained in Jerusalem and were the foundation of the church in Jerusalem. But there's even a group in India that traces the roots of that church back to Thomas. Uh, you know, not necessarily a building, but a collection of people. That That's where he went. We don't know. Uh, there are, um, you know, tradition what happened to a lot of the apostles. But, you know, but if the tradition is true... He went and did exactly what he was led to do. He went and shared that message that God, even though he wasn't there when Christ effectively commissioned the apostles, so I am sending you. Just as God sent me, I'm sending you. Thomas went and did it, shared the message. And then the last two verses in this chapter, and, and this is John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, the particular st stories and tales and events that he talked about, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose, you know, he tells us, you know, effectively in the prologue that he is sharing the message of Christ. And almost by ending it with uh, Thomas's statement, my Lord and my God, that's really where he's wanting us to get to. And so he shared those stories, those events, those activities 
those teachings to help us get to the point of where we too can say, my Lord and my God. Then, you know, so that, you know, we might believe. That's why John has written this gospel. Then we'll get into it next week, um, chapter 21, which is almost like an epilogue. You know, John has wrote this, but it was just more to kind of get us to the point of the ascension. Um, and also Peter's direct uh, calling of what Peter was supposed to do. But here John is just telling us, here's why I've gone and written all of this, so that you might believe. He did this for us. Just like, go ahead, Mark. Elsewhere, uh, it might be in a different version, but um, elsewhere it says that he, there were so many books that they could have filled the whole world. Right. And I'm not sure if it was just a different version, but there mm-hmm. is when you go to, uh, but that's all we need for salvation, is the ones that were included in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the, um, in the unforgiveness, I heard um, a while back, that the sin of unforgiveness is the only sin that is unforgiven. So when people, so when people justify their unforgiveness, why they? Because a lot of times human flesh wants to justify why they don't forgive. But that the sin of unforgiveness is the only sin that's unforgiven. That's kind of scary. It makes it a little more serious when gotcha. I was hurt. And it yeah. Makes it this one. Yeah. Steve. Yes, sir. Uh, if I remember this correctly, I may or may not. But the two, uh, and they were disciples, not apostles, on the road to Emmaus, and they were Jesus was talking to them. But if I recall correctly, he did not appear to them in his or or they had never seen him. Maybe they were disciples. Having heard everything, but never seen him personally, but they did not recognize him. Yeah, but but he disappeared once they heard the truly heard his voice right. when he prayed. So you know, it's kind of like also in Corinthians, it talks about seeing more clearly later. You know, it could have been any number of things. You know, it could have been I could, my eyes were so swollen from crying, and in my case, taking my glasses off and crying, I wouldn't know it was you unless I heard your voice. And so, you know, why they didn't truly see who they were, their companion was as they walked, they realized during that blessing who that was, and he immediately disappeared. And, you know, he may have come back here, because that was later, you know, that was like in the afternoon. And... So they would have been so upset and disturbed that they were heading home and probably in their own grief. You know, sometimes, and it doesn't have to be in grief, uh, you know, I've I'm, I'm got my mind so totally somewhere else and when Cindy's talking to me, okay, I, I, she might as well not be there. Thank you, Steve. But you hey, I'm a guy. I, <laughs> I saw her start smiling. I knew exactly what I'd. 
gotten you into. Some of us could relate to that. And by the way, happy Mother's Day to all of you. The interesting thing about that is that when a man is not listening, he can always repeat back what the woman said, even though he's not listening. No, I can't. But he doesn't have a hearing you know, Steve, but, I served, uh, they had, at St. Luke's, they had several young people give sermons, and I ended up uh, getting their uh, newsletter with the sermons in it, and it was, they were just outstanding, and one of the young women said, one of the teenagers said, on the road to Emmaus, that it was like they had left, because they thought it was all over, they gave up, everything was gone, but that Jesus pursues us when we go out and leave him. He comes after us and he pursues us until he brings back to life what, what we need to know. Brings us, he comes after us, brings back to life. Right. Good. And it was just, it, there were three sermons in that. Every single one of them was just amazing coming out of his children. Kind of like Andrew's sermon this morning. You know, wow. to church before Sunday school and it's the Good Shepherd. Mm-hmm. And his description of the shepherd, and the shepherd would never give up. He is going to go find you and bring you back. One other thing about forgiveness, because we talk about forgiveness, and I, mm-hmm. I can only remember things that happened in the last three or four days. But I was behind on the Advent Bible blog a little bit, so this was probably seven days ago. But it was in Chronicles. And in Chronicles, when Solomon, you, you probably all know that I didn't, but when Solomon dedicated the temple that he had built for the Lord, then he prayed, he said a long prayer. And part of it was that if one of our people sins, and I'll condense it, if one of our people sins and he comes to you and asks forgiveness and does not do it again, will you take him back? And then the Lord answered Solomon in a prayer and said, I will do that. And it, it was a lot it was a, you know, a page or two of it, but that's right. basically it is is that he was praying to him if any of my people sinned and if he went into all kind of sins and he went into if the drought comes and so forth. If because we've done wrong, if we repent and promise never to do it again, will you uh, come back and save us? And and in his answer he said, Yes I will. And that's true, but then, you know, you hear Jesus and Peter, and then they say, yeah. um, if, if he comes back, if he asks for it, and he, comes, he does it again, he asks for it, and he asks again, it's 70 times 70. You know, how long does it take for someone who's a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. but for their, um, for the inner part, their spirit, to be able to profoundly uh, trump the flesh? So it takes, it might take 
Well, next week will be, um, as I said, we'll talk about some of the um, appearances in chapter 21 of John, and that will be our last gathering for uh, this class year, because the following Sunday will be Memorial Day week weekend, and we typically don't meet that Sunday. And so, one more next Sunday, and then uh, back in um, September. And at this point, John and I are still kind of trying to figure out what we'll be doing in the fall. So until then, again, happy Mother's Day. We thank all of you, and have a great week.